special guest, Kristen McFeely. It's Friday. It's five o'clock. What are you ladies drinking today? I am drinking um, a, it's called Start It Up. It is a collaboration beer. It's a um, vanilla coffee porter. And it's a collaboration of Working Horse Brewing Company and Saxby's Coffee. And it's delicious. That sounds really good. I'm drinking again a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, Bill. I was drinking wine earlier today. And then I went to happy hour and I had this really good German stout situation from Vault Brewing Co. Called like a Schnitzelberger or something I can't pronounce. And it was so good. It was like a dark beer. But like not a stout, not a porter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's called a um shit, now I forget the name. I forget the name of it, but that there's a certain kind of German beer. Yeah, it begins with an S. It was so good. Yeah. It was so good. I thought of you, Kristen, because I was like, I feel like this is what Kristen would order. She likes the dark beers. And lo and behold, you're drinking a dark beer. So I do. I like the dark beer. I like an I, I do like an IPA as well. Yeah. Bill, what are you drinking? I'm drinking vodka, I'm drinking Tito's. <gasps> Yeah, it was like warmer today, so uh, it felt like a summer summer beverage, you know. Nice. Any fruit? I'm fresh out of tequila now. Yeah, it felt like a summer day. It was like a little bit hot, and uh, felt like I needed uh, a summer a summer vibe. Was happening. I love it. Nice. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. So in some sad happy hour with the Home Collective news, Mackenzie is no longer with us. Uh, she took a marketing position with another company. She was our team's marketing mm-hmm. coordinator uh, since we started at Compass in uh, July of 2018. Um, so she will be missed. We knew it was coming. She had given the notice we were trying to record with her before she left but we just couldn't get our schedules together and um make that happen so anyway she did say she would pop in from time to time and she promised me that she would come back and do her planet of the age review (laughs) maybe in like a year she's gonna drag her feet on that bill that show that movie's too scary for her i feel like but since she was so terrified, I mean, that could be why she put her notice in. We're not sure. <laughs> All in good terms, though, I do want to just point out. Oh, yeah. She likes great terms. We love her. We miss her. We can't wait to see her. We can't wait till we can actually all have a happy hour to do a proper goodbye. We're excited for her next endeavor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We are yeah. Uh, uh, sad for us, but happy for her and hope that she- happy. Pops back in on occasion. I basically told her whenever she wants to say some crazy shit, just text me and we'll put her on the show. Oh yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah. we'll see. We'll, we'll see what comes. She's a good that. one. She'll be missed. Yeah, she's definitely. So Kristen's joining us today, and uh, we will see where <laughs> what happens in the future. We don't know. As usual, we're we're winging things. So um, anyway, we're happy to have Kristen. We appreciate it. Busy lady. Thank you for having um you guys I've been reading some crazy headlines this week. Can I can I clue you in on something that I read literally today that like blew my mind? There is yeah. a Vietnam vet who's local to Delco. His name's Tom Garvey. He's writing a book about how he lived in an empty concession stand at Veterans Stadium from seventy nine to eighty one. 
the book is called The Secret Apartment. So he basically was like op- running the parking lot so he would work overnight and he converted an abandoned concession stand into an apartment. And he was like really good friends with some of the Eagles players and like would ha- would live in this apartment. And he would like the front of the concession stand was like a stack of boxes. So behind there was like this decked out apartment but there aren't any photos of it apparently it was like in left field can you imagine like that's wild like i feel like first of all i thought of sheena and i thought of sheena's dad because i feel like sheena's dad would just jump on the opportunity to have like an apartment at vet stadium but then i'm like that's the ultimate like a vet lived at vet state like that's like they might as well just call it Tom Garvey Stadium. Do you know what I mean? I was like, this is fascinating. So apparently um, he, when the pandemic first happened, he was like talking about it on Facebook, like bringing up these positive memories about like the the secret apartment. And everyone's like, you need to write a book. So now he's putting out this book. Um, I'll send you guys a link. I think it's like so cool. What do you guys think? How much would that apartment be worth? If you could buy an apartment at like the lake, what what do you think it would go for? Price per square foot. (laughs) What do you think, Kristen? How big is it? I mean, it was like, it was a 30 by 60 or something like that. I think they said it was pretty big. That's That's pretty big. So like he would have, he was really good friends with, um, oh God, I forget one of the players. Um, but basically, like when the wives would be waiting for them to get out of the locker room and all that stuff, they the wives would hang out at the secret apartment and like drink beers with him. And then the, the oh, players that he was friends with would like go up in there and they would like hang out back there. How beautiful is that? Can you imagine? That's pretty sweet. So, uh, you know, growing up in the neighborhood, we used to as kids, we used to sneak into the vet all the time. All the time. So, yeah. Yeah. So, we would sneak in when nothing was going on. We were obsessed with the vet. You know, when you're like the ages of like 10 to 15, we used to just walk walk over there and walk around the ramps and just look for some way to get in. So, we found found a gate where we can get in. And more than once, I would say a handful of times, probably like eight of us snuck in. Went down on the field while with the Eagles logo and everything, and played football down there, like four on four. We used to cu- oh we used to God. cut the field into quarters, so we would play from the fifty to the end zone, and from the hash mark to the sideline, just like a Get a out. little piece. Yeah, and oh, then we would man. when we score a touchdown, we'd run over to the goal line and kick kick the extra point. Oh <laughs> so, my God! So. So my brother, you know, he he literally was like 10 or 11 years old. He tells my mother that he's going to sleep at his friend friend's house who lived on our street. That friend told his mother that he was going <laughs> to sleep at my house, right? Mm-hmm. Then the both of them went to the corner store and stacked up on candy. You know, the penny candy, like a couple dollars yeah. worth of bags of gum and whatever the hell, whoppers or whatever the hell they were buying, mm-hmm. and decided that they were going to sleep in the vet for the night. Oh, my God. And survive so, on candy. <laughs> yeah. So, 
So can you imagine like today, like a 10 year old walking down, like just, uh-uh. you know, so they go down to the vet, they sneak in and I, they must've picked the worst place to try to sleep. They up, up, I don't, you remember where Fanavision was like all the way at the top. Mm-hmm. Anyway, oh, yeah. they had Fanavision. It was this giant screen at the top, like 700 level. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to sleep up there. And my oh, brother, my all God. he said, all he said was, the sound of the rats and the cats was insane. He Get said, out. I think they made it. They made it to like maybe one in the morning or something like that and then walked home. <laughs> the rats and the cats. How crazy that is that? That is so insane. That is wow. so insane. Yeah. And all the times, all the times we went there, I mean, it was probably only, I don't know, maybe five times we got in. We only got caught one time. And the guards actually saw us down on the field, security, and they came down and they were like kind of laughing and watching us and they let us go for a little bit. And then they were like, they rounded us up and then walked us out. I love it. But we used to look down there all the One time we were trying to get into the Eagles locker room. So we walked up the tunnel and we saw a door that said Eagles locker room. And my buddy, I'll never forget this. He he puts his hand on the the door handle and he says, "There's no way this is unlocked." And he pulls the door open, and just this <laughs> loudest alarm goes off. Like the door was unlocked, but the alarm was on, and it was like eh, like this. Cr- and we were like, "Oh!" So we ran, we were just so petrified, scared, ran down the ramp. Ran up the steps and ran out. So oh my god! But I have no idea where that guy's apartment is. I can't even picture. I know they said something about it was across from left field, mm-hmm. but I cannot picture it. Yeah, I don't know. I it was like the two hundred level. I think it was like two hundred level left field section D, like East Bumble, whatever part of the stadium. <laughs> Who knows? But um. He, basically, like the armpit of the stadium where no one would be looking is basically his whole mm-hmm. point. But um, my one memory of Vet Stadium, you guys, is in 93, I went to baseball camp. So I was like a little tyke at this point. I was the only girl out on the turf. And uh, I caught a fly ball or like I was going to catch a fly ball and it hit me right in the eye. And I was like, oh, but other than that, they took us on a tour of the stadium and we went in the the locker room and I will never forget John Crook's locker was a corner of the locker room. I kid you not. There was a lazy boy recliner. (laughs) Lazy boy recliner. I I kid you not. Lazy boy recliner. There was a birdbath in there and it was an ashtray. And there were milk crates of bubblegum in his locker. And I was a kid. And, and and then everyone else had a regular size locker. But he had like this corner piece, you know, with a recliner in it. I'm like, this is insane. Like, but I thought that was the coolest thing. <laughs> I went home. I was like, Dad, you'll never believe this. He was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so I was like, thanks for sending me to baseball camp. Like, I saw John Crux. You know, lazy boy. It was the goofiest thing. But yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So. John Crock was like, he played in the era when guys were like not 
that in shape, right? Like, well, most guys, I mean, I shouldn't say all guys, there were guys like him where they didn't take fitness. There, there was, you know, a time where the, the, the athletes didn't take the fitness as seriously as they do today. And he played in both eras. And he was mm-hmm. telling this story one time because it was pretty funny. Even in the 93 World Series, they were staying out late in the World Series, in the parking lot, drinking beers. They were hammered. They were mm-hmm. like walking back to the, you know, had, they were staying out all night before like game two, game three. And he talks about this story. He said, he, he, you know, they were asking him, how did he know when to retire? He's like, you know, they were big. They would be drinking it like Lenny Dykstra smoking in the dugout. Like that's just, you know, that yep. was that error. He said he remembers one spring training because they always had beer around. And he said one spring training, he goes, when the younger guys were, were coming up and he was getting ready to retire, he was like, and these guys were really into, you know, really into the health routine in the off season and all these things. So he goes, he goes, um, we're down in Clearwater and he goes, I walk into the locker room and he goes, I see all these blenders on the counter. And he goes, my first thought was, you know, they're for like protein shakes and all this stuff. He goes, my first thought was, wow, not only do we have beer, but we have mixed drinks too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. That was a fun time for Phillies though. Yeah. It was good good Yeah. They set the tone. That was great. That was the year I graduated high school. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was in college when they. Yeah, I remember. I remember that in the fall. Mm-hmm. Good hair. Good times. Yeah. Also, speaking of sports, but not really. It, it's it's about the birds. Okay, you guys. So, starting April first, the Philly skyline's going to go mostly dark at night in an effort to. I did you see this? this? I did hear. Yes, basically I did. Yes. to prevent bird deaths because as they migrate, they migrate at night. So. Um, not the birds, Bill, not the eagles, because I don't think that's right. enough to save them at this point in time. However, Ooh, some, whoa, <laughs> <shot fired. laughs> some, just yeah. kidding, just kidding. Um, yes. Yeah, so some of our most iconic skyscrapers are going to go dark overnight starting the first. It's going to, it's called the program. It's a voluntary program. It's called Lights Out Philly. So it's going to run until May 31st for the spring migate, migration period. And then they're going to do it again, August 15th through November 15th as the birds travel south um, because most of them fly at night again. So basically, um, during those time periods, participating building owners are going to turn off lights at the top of buildings like the crowns, the facades, the atriums and what they call lobbies. Um, So if you're looking at the skyline between April and May and you're wondering why it's dark, now you know. Go birds. Okay. Go birds. <laughs> I think that's. Go, re- I think, go I birds think, safely. Go birds. Safe birds. Save the birds. You know. I think it's really sweet. I, I hope it so helps too. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's cool. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and Kristen's going to stick around, and we're going to talk about the state of the market. We'll be right back. Let's talk about this crazy seller market we're seeing right now. Uh, last week, I had two houses that my buyers lost. One went thirty thousand over the list price. The other went fifty thousand over the list price. And it seems like every time a house pops up on the market, a flock of buyers runs to it, and there's a multiple bid situation. 
and buyers are doing all kinds of crazy things like waiving inspections and waiving appraisals. So Kristen, give us some of your stories recently. Tell us some of your stories with uh, best and final situations with buyers and how many offers you've been running into and just the difficulties that most buyers are running into. Yeah, right I now. mean, honestly, I've been striking out a little bit lately. Um, it's it's not easy for sure. Um, I have buyers that are looking in the suburban market, which is really, really tough. Um, it feels like every time a property hits the market, they basically like it hits the market on a Friday and they say all offers are due Sunday night. So we scramble to get there. Um, the last one I lost out on had 22 offers. We were in the top five, but like there's only so much sometimes the buyers are able to do, you know, these guys were, um, just not able to do that much more. Um, so we've lost out on that one. Um, we've gotten, I've gotten a couple accepted recently where it's been multiple offer, but, um, you know, we have to do things like waive inspections or waive the right to negotiate after an inspection, um, or waive the appraisal, um, all things that are tricky and I wouldn't normally advise, um, but we really have to be ready. And the, the biggest thing is to tell your buyers just they have to be prepared. They absolutely must be prepared. They have to speak with a lender. There's no getting pre-approved at the last minute anymore. Um, really, everything has to be like prep work done ahead of time. Letters, of course, I, I find that heartfelt letters sometimes go a long way. Um, good financing, good lenders that you're, you know, good pre-approval letter from a local lender goes a long way. But it's tough. It's a really tough market. How how about you guys? How are you guys making out with your buyers? I mean, I have most of my buyers are in Fishtown and I feel like it's Fishtown was just hard enough already. And then for whatever the past year has been where people have felt cooped up or really ready to make a move or make a change and the fact that there's just such low inventory um you know it's been like, like there was a property, it was mediocre. This house was mediocre, but it was priced really like competitive. We toured it immediately. There, there was a line outside on like a Friday night and it was freezing. I'm like, I, I've never waited outside. If it wasn't an open house, I've never waited outside to walk through a house before. The house was like, I was in my mind, I'm like, if they want to buy this, like that's going to suck because this house isn't good. Like it's just not a good house. Like the finishes, the floors, everything was like shoddy. It was we the the layout was weird. It went 14 offers. It went 50k over asking. And I'm just like, who bought this? Why? Like I I just I'm just like and then we're just, you know, we're still looking, but it's like they're in that price point where most buyers are in that price point where it's like you're in the threes, you know, if there's, it's like a young couple, you're in the mid threes and it's just like, everyone can be there pretty much if you want to be in this neighborhood. And it's just like, when are you going to know, you know, I, it's, they're looking at me to, to give them answers. And I'm just like, I don't really have the answers for you. Like, I don't have, you know, like I wish I had the crystal ball, but I'm just like, all we can do is our best. And like, it'll come, but it's like, you have to be more patient. You have to be more strategic. You have to really know what your boundaries are. But every like 
you know, multiple offer situation is a boundary check, I feel like. And then it becomes more emotional after you lose out a couple times. Like I know, I tell this story all the time. I know when Mary and I, and I'm a real estate agent, Mary and I bought our house two years ago. We lost two multiple offer scenarios and she's, and I was crushed. I like, I think I cried once. Like my, my mother-in-law was here and I was like, I just can't take it anymore. And she's like, this is crazy. You guys, are you sure? I'm like, this is whole And then like, you know, I, I'm like, your house is going to find you. I say this to my clients. I'm like, your house is going to find you. And then like, I texted my agent when I bought my first house before I was licensed. I was like, hey, do, if you know of anything coming up in Fishtown, like we're looking. And he had a mentee at the time and he was like, funny enough, my mentee is a listing coming up on Palmer Street. It's not on the market. Come by on Friday. You know, we walked through. It was love at first sight. And they were like, it was great. And they were like, I was like, what are you going to list it for? And they said like, you know, 330. And I was like, I'll pay 350. Let's just do this. And like, we got it. And I was like, thank God. Cause we would have never, I don't think we would have ever really had a chance. I think this would have went over 350 easily. So I feel like we stole a house at the end of the day, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how to tell people like, that's what's going to happen for you. But I'm just like, just be patient. It'll happen maybe in a, in five years, but it'll happen. <laughs> you know, like what about you, Bill? So w- when I started um, in 09, it was the bottom. It was like the bottom of the market. Sellers were begging buyers to come around. And since then, it's been steadily climbing. Uh, maybe since 2011. Took a couple of years, but it's been steadily climbing. So I just said this the other day when I was running buyers um, – in South Philly, and we lost two multi-bid situations um, where the houses went thirty and fifty thousand over the number. And I'm shaking my head because I'm like, I mean, you have to try to get it for your buyer, but you're also thinking, how's this? I don't get it. Like, I don't get the yeah. number for this property, but so it's a tough, it's a tough situation. But I thought to myself, this is the hardest market right now that I've seen for a buyer. Um, and I'm wondering uh, if it's similar. How does it compare, Kristen, to you were selling in 07, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I heard that then when everything was was going crazy, like 06, 07, that agents were bringing agreements to sale to open houses and filling them out there. Right at the open house, like how does it? How does this market right now compare to that? Yeah, market you know there? what? I have such a tough time answering that because Dan always refers to it because he was managing back then, and I was like a brand new agent at that time, so I wasn't really, I wasn't in it the way that I'm in it now. Like I didn't have a ton of buyers that I was working with, and I wasn't, um, I was certainly wasn't working at a price point that I'm working at now. I mean, when I first started in real estate, you know. And I was working in a little mom and pop South Philly brokerage at the time for three years when I got my license in 2005. And, uh, you know, my highest price point, I think when I, well, my average price point, I guess I should say, when I came to Coldwell Banker was like 119. So I remember like my first couple houses were like 80,000, 75. I bought my first house for 70 on Juniper Street in South Philly. Like, 
you know, it was, and that was 2003, but it was just a different, I was a different agent. So I don't know. I feel like I can't speak to, um, like maybe you need to talk to McCann or something about this. <laughs> I feel like at my, you know, when I was an agent at, at that time, I don't really recall it being the way that it's, it is now, but I also just wasn't kind of in it at, in the same capacity. I definitely remember, um, in 2008, the first time homebuyer tax credit. Um, I remember selling my house on Juniper Street then, around then, and uh, came in just under the wire where my buyer who bought my house was able to qualify for that. That was a killer uh, program where people were, first-time home buyers were just going crazy. That's the first time that I remember the market feeling like multiple offers, going over asking, um, getting in really, really fast and stuff like that. I, I definitely remember that during that time. What neighborhoods are you seeing this kind of activity in? Are you seeing it all over? Are you seeing more than any other areas, any one area? Yeah, more than I mean, I other? think it's, it's um, you know, it's like the, the one thing I tell all my sellers right now, which I think is the most important thing, especially because of the pandemic, is, you know, people are not wanting to go out and look at 25 houses anymore. They want to look online. They want to really vet the properties and then go out and just go after like their top five. Um, so I am telling all of my sellers, the house has to look absolutely perfect when we market it, when we make it go live. The photos have to be professional photos. The property needs to be staged if it's a vacant property. If it's not a vacant property, I'm still in there kind of working with the seller and making and curating their stuff and bringing in some things if I need to. Um, so the description has to be perfect. Like literally everything has to be perfect when it goes live. And I think if you do that and you price it right, it doesn't really matter so much what neighborhood you're in. It's going to sell. But the neighborhoods I'm seeing, like Dina, we talked about Fishtown. I mean, I feel like if the property is really... And and people are also looking for things that are a little different now, like homes that have some character and really are not cookie cutter. I think if you have a home like that, it's going to sell no matter where it is. Um, but Fishtown is multiple offers. I've had clients lose out on homes in Fishtown. Um Definitely Northwest Philly, kind of where I live, like Chestnut Hill, Mount Airy. Forget about it. My last listing in Mount Airy got um, 16 offers. It ended up going almost 100 grand over asking. Um, crazy, 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 crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maniunk, I've seen, you know, like I, I had a buyer. They, they struck out a bunch of times until they finally got something. I know Zoe's been working with some buyers in Maniunk, Roxborough. That's been tricky. East Falls never gets listings for the most part. So that's always tricky. Um, but those are the neighborhoods. But then even like Point Breeze, like I had a listing that I just listed last week. It went on, I had an open house and it went under contract immediately. And we were expecting more offers, but it was such a good offer. I just said, let's take it. It worked for the sellers to close early and we just went for it. But I think, I think the property really has to shine. I think it's a little different than before where you could just sort of throw it up and let something happen. I think it has to shine. Do you guys see um, like an end to the buyer crease? Like obviously we're always doing deals, right? There's, there's always buyers in every market, but like, <laughs> I mean, for the past two weeks with me just running a couple different buyers around. It's just been so crazy. It didn't. It didn't even matter. Here, here's what was is different now for me than it was just not long ago. Maybe a year, even a year ago, or less. But like, if you ran to a property day one and saw it day one, 
and wrote up full price, you kind of got that sale done. But now I have had twice in the last week, I've been the first one in a property with my buyer. Wrote one time, wrote up full price. The next time, wrote up five thousand over the full price, and the seller was just like, "Nah, we're gonna wait." And I'm like, "But you don't even have another offer right now. Like, what do you what do you mean you're gonna wait? You know?" And we wind up losing both of those because they went so crazy high. Yeah. Um. I just, I don't. I I'm I'm wondering if it's the thought of the rates creeping up. I mean, they are creeping up a little bit, but what's your thoughts on that? Do you think it's, I know it's inventory too, right? Inventory is a little low, but do you think it's because rates of the rates? Rates are definitely, I mean, they're in the threes now, which, you know, which, it, which is still unbelievable. I mean, I remember starting in real estate and I would do buyer closing costs numbers and we always averaged seven. That was like the number we put in every time we did one. So three is still insanely low. Um, but they're definitely higher than the twos where they were a couple weeks ago. I don't think buyers are that in tune to that for the most part. I mean, some buyers are if they work in finance or something like that. But for most buyers, I think they're still thinking rates are low. Um, I think from a seller's perspective, they just kind of feel like they've got the upper hand. It's a seller's market. So, you know, if they list, especially if they list on a weekend or coming up, onto a weekend and they get a full price offer that in some ways, Bill, I think coming in early with a full price offer or coming in early with 5,000 over makes them kind of gives them like a boost to think like, Oh, well, I, you know, I might be getting even more. I might, you know, let me wait this out a little bit. I've had a lot of on my own listings. I've, I've been working with a lot of sellers lately. And I feel like um, on my own listings, when I get offers, I'm finding a lot of agents are putting a time, stamp on the response date. So it's like, you know, tomorrow at noon or tomorrow at 11 o'clock, like they're not giving you a full day to even get back to them. And they're sort of threatening, like this offer goes away if you don't make a decision. But does it? But then yeah. the seller does it though? Yeah. No. <laughs> says like, are you really going to go find something else in four hours if I drag this on a little longer to see if I can get another? So the seller has to weigh the risk, but honestly, the offer expires. So, you know, who knows? I guess a buyer could walk away. Um, it's crazy though. It's really crazy. It's a crazy market. I always, the other thing I'm noticing, like when I'm working with buyers, especially I've got a couple folks that are like selling their property in the city and moving to the burbs because of the pandemic. And in the suburbs, it's like a whole different animal. Um, but when I now am scheduling the showing, I'm literally reading every remark, every agent remark, because sometimes when you're scheduling the showing, it already says all offers are due tonight by five. Yeah. So you're almost like, well, I guess I can't schedule something for six o'clock. <laughs> you know, like you, you really have to like be in tune. And then, and then I think the other thing is to give a little bump to Compass, to our brokerage, um, our, our private exclusive program is pretty awesome. I've sold a few properties recently off market that never even hit the market because I've been in contact with, um, you know, agents within our brokerage, within our office who have things coming up. And, uh, you know, if you can get in there a little early and, and get it, get it under contract, you don't have to compete. So I've had, a, I've had some luck with that too, but that's really just, um, the benefit to working where we work, but also really having good networking and, and keeping, you know, really being in touch with everybody who works in our office. So how do you convince a seller about private exclusive if you're getting these like offers 
after like like bill if if it's like if you know that people are coming in immediately over the weekend and sending you like full asking or 5k over like what's the benefit to private exclusive i guess like what would you say to somebody like what are the what are the pros to that for a seller yeah that's a big part of it privacy i mean during covid like people don't love you know 100 people walking through their home they don't love you know, it depends always, it always depends on the seller's motivation. That's what I tell every buyer when they, th- they're like, well, what do you think we should do? I'm like, let's figure out what the seller wants. Mm-hmm. Like, do they, is it vacant? Do they want to quit clothes? Is that going to be more important than, um, than the price to them is, you know, what is the thing that the seller, we could assume the seller wants. And I think that the private exclusive, what's great about it, especially during COVID is that you're not having a million people walking through your house. Dean, you know what it could be really Mm. good for before we started recording, you were talking about a listing that you have coming in Fishtown. You could do a private exclusive with them. If he's not thinking about painting or thinking about doing anything else, do a private exclusive. Let some agents go through, see if that number's there as it is right now. And then you can actually give him feedback. feedback. Yeah. And be like, you know what? We had we had two agents go in. Guess what? They're writing an offer at your number. You're done. We'll just we'll do that. Or if it's not there, you could say, "See, this is why you need to do these couple things." Yeah. So it's perfect for that. I think it's for. I use it for two two reasons, and I haven't done mm-hmm. a ton of them, but one is for that just to test, see what, see get some feedback first from some yeah. agents, and to tell the seller you know, you need to do these couple things before we put it on the market because the benefit of it is you're not accruing days on market. That's, that's the greatest yeah, part of it. Right. And the other, and, and that's basically it, this kind of ties into the second, the second point is that they're just not ready mm-hmm. yet. So I'm actually doing it. I'm going to put one on tomorrow for Whitman, but it, it's not because he wants to slow roll it out. It's just because we're getting we're getting the staging and the photos done. That might take mm-hmm. a week. So I might as well put it on private exclusive just to see if there's any nibbles out there or, you know, and see if we get any, if I get anybody contacting me about it, maybe want to get in early. I mean, we still plan on hitting the market, but you never know. If he gets his number right away, maybe he's like, okay, let's just yeah. do that. Yeah. So it, it does give you some yeah. options. Yeah. And what Bill, like back to what Bill was saying too, like sometimes you have a seller that, that really doesn't want to listen to what you're suggesting, you know, what you're suggesting. Totally. Right. So kind of like, Oh, I recommend you do all this, this, and this. And they're like, no, we don't need to. All right. Well, let's do a private exclusive at your number. Let's see what happens. And then everybody who goes through comes back with the same feedback that you need to do the things that you suggested doing. And so now it's like, it's not coming from you. It's coming from. It's coming from the market. Yeah. He's like, I want this to be quick and painless. And I'm like, you need to paint in order for it to be quick and painless. Like, for a lot less. You put it up, you quick and painless, let's just fire sale this thing and be done. Yeah. I, private exclusive sounds great. I've never done it. I've had, I've represented buyers. We've like, I bought, I've done a couple deals through private exclusive, but I've never had an opportunity um, to list something like that. But it makes sense, Bill. Good suggestion. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's this, I mean, it's the seller's motivation. Like if the seller is not, you know, sometimes the seller is like, I have to be done with this. Let's just get it on the open market. Let's not even do coming soon. Let's just get it out there. We need it to sell. Um, but if they have the time and the like, 
you know, if they're able to do it, the constitution to kind of like hang in there, then the way to do it is to do it right. Where like you go through, you go through the whole steps. I mean, this is like funny. I was telling somebody today, they were like, I've never seen you. My nature is not to drink Kool-Aid ever yeah. on about anything, anything like uh, from when I was a kid, like anytime someone said to do something, I was trying to figure out a different way to do it. But for whatever reason, when truly this is like a commercial for compass but when i joined compass i was like this just makes sense like i'm i'm into it i'm i'm you know waving the compass flag a lot um but their their program if you really follow like doing a private exclusive doing compass concierge first Mm -hmm. you know it's a no-brainer you know no-brainer like make the let's make the house look as awesome as it can then do a private exclusive then maybe maybe if you don't sell it move it into coming soon then really take advantage of that and then move it on to the open market. And you're like not accruing days on market. Like it's just such a good, you have such a quality product that you're putting out there and it feels good. It feels good. Kristen. Okay. We're going to play a game. I'm going to ask you five questions. You got to say the first thing that comes to mind, all Philly related. Are you ready? Oh my God. Okay. I'm ready. Best Philly neighborhood for walkable restaurants. Passion Square. If you could go back in time 10 years and invest in one neighborhood, what would it be? I would probably, I I might say Passion Square again, actually. Allen Iverson or Chase Utley? Chase Utley. I have a huge crush on Chase Utley, by the way. I ran into him. I ran into him one day. You did? I'll tell you about it. Tell us now, Bill. Uh You did? So I was out at lunch in Bella Vista and uh, it was dead. There was nobody in the place because it was like an early lunch. It was like 11 o'clock and my buddy was in from out of town and he's facing the front door. So my back's to the front door. So the door opens, somebody comes in and he's look. I see him looking and he's looking so hard and it's a small place. So he's the guy standing right there. My buddy's like, oh my God, I know this guy. Who the hell is this? I look over. I'm like, that's Chase. Oh my God. <laughs> he, just, he just walked in. And he saw us and he was like, what's up, guys? And he sat right next to us talking to a buddy. So it was it was us three, Chase and whoever his guest was. And apparently he goes to this place. Well, he used to go to this place almost every day before games. So they had seven, seven o'clock game. He would go there and eat like 11 and then go straight to the ballpark. That's what I liked about Chase. He was always like just a regular yeah, guy when he could absolutely. be. Yeah. I love that. Okay, question number four. Best Philly neighborhood for shopping? I mean, I guess I have to go with like Rittenhouse Square because it's just kind of everything there. Okay, all right. Um, Last question. What does home mean to you? I look at home as like a, this will not be very succinct or, you know, articulate, but I look at home as sort of my, you know, sort of place to come home to and relax. I feel like my, my work life has me running around a lot. I'm in all different neighborhoods throughout the city. I love each and every one of them in different ways. But when I come home, I close the door and I'm home. And it's just a feeling of, especially where I live now, there are trees around me. I'm surrounded by trees. I actually have a good size yard where I can sit outside. So home to me is just like a place where I can actually just let the whole the stress of the day sort of dissipate and just really be home. And it's just like, it's like just my a place for relaxation, really. That's what's up. I think Bill and I can relate to that. As much as I'm kind of like a, a social person and a um, and I like being out and about and I like being with people, I'm also very much a homebody and my home is like everything. 
like you guys know, Billy, we're both big collectors. Like our home houses our collections. It houses our, you know, books. We have so many books. It, it our music. It's just like home is literally everything to me. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. What is your favorite Friday night restaurant? Um, so it's got to be something Italian. Italian food is my favorite food. Um, like my two favorite Italians right now. <laughs> Sucking up to the um, the hosts. I love it. <laughs> I sure like the Italian food. No, it's got to be something Italian. The thing we Billy and I miss so much about not living in South Philly is the access to really good Italian restaurants. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to say like a, get a big group, get a big table together and go to pesto. That's probably one of my favorite. South Philly stop. Just classics. South Philly. I remember when we used to go to EUE too, when it was on ninth street and pesto is just as good. Now in the burbs near where I live now, there's, um, there's a place called Enza that I find is also really good. That's it's in Winmore. Okay. But nothing really beats Italian food in South Philly. You know, speaking of pesto, that was where we had lunch that day, or might have been dinner, where you introduced Dina as a new member to our team. So oh, full circle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's your favorite spot, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the atmosphere. I love the whole thing. The whole that was thing. a good and night. That was also when you announced the baby, Bill. I wasn't just. Oh, that's right. Oh, even really? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made that announcement. Yeah. That was a big that? night. Big night. Maybe that's in my head is my thing. Kristen, what's your favorite beverage? Um, I well, I love coffee. I can't go a day without coffee, and I have multiple cups of coffee a day. I'm a caffeine fanatic. I like Diet Coke too, um, and Diet Dr Pepper. But <laughs> I can drink a huge cup of coffee and go right to bed. Like caffeine does not affect me in the least. But I think if I'm going to talk about my my favorite thing is beer. I, I'm a yeah. beer person. I'm not a wine drinker. I mean, I'll have a glass of wine when I'm at pesto. There you, you know, go. a nice glass of red wine. But normally, I am a beer. I'm a beer snob. All right, last question, Kristen. This is the hardest question. Favorite movie? See, that's so hard of all time. <laughs> that's why I said it was of the hardest time, question. I mean, or if you can only watch one movie, there's so many. I mean, I love I love a good comedy. But like my brand of comedy is a little more like I love British comedy. I love that style of humor. I love like Christopher Guest movies, which are like mockumentary kind of things. I love those. But then I guess if I had to keep watching one movie over and over, it would probably be good. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Wow. Wow. It's just one of those when it's on, I'm not turning it off, you know, so I guess it's that is. But I do love a good, I love a good comedy too. I really do. All right, ladies, let's wrap this up. Kristen, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. I hope to do this again sometime soon. Yeah. All right, ladies, have a good weekend. You too. Bye. See you guys. All right. Bye-bye. some goodfellas trivia questions oh, for you no. yeah yeah no, no. yeah now you have to get it right because you told me you can't change the channel when you see goodfellas wow. on so here we go here's the first question and it's very easy 
got to get Philly to help me. <laughs> this is the kind of thing. This is like a guy thing, first of all, that like memorizes lines from That's movies. That's sexist. All right, let's I'm move not, on. <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> all right. <laughs>